All right, so if you had told me two years ago that on the 150th episode of this podcast, I would be sitting here alone on a non-snow snow day, I would have told you, what a loser. But instead, I mean, we could say that. I want to say thank you. And we will get to that reason why here in a second. Solo episode today, we're talking Patriots coaching changes, why they will spend in free agency. And I will guarantee you this here on Tuesday, February 13th, why I'm going to be going away for a little bit. And then 14 mailbag questions at the end. You guys brought it. I appreciate you. And as I said at the top, thank you. And the reason is for this. There have never been more menu items in sports media where you can watch, you can read, you can listen, you can follow, you can flip the bird, engage however you want. And thousands of you routinely come back here to hang out, listen to me yammer, and talk like I'm running 10 minutes late. And that means, of course, a lot because time is something we don't get back, uh, but we can invest. And our numbers tell me that you like the return on your investment here with Pat's Interference, brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. And I will tell you 100% without a doubt or hesitation that I love my return on the investment of this time with you because. This is a place that's not like writing, where it's me sitting alone in my own head where I spend enough time anyway. This is connection. This is community, the two best parts of this job. And we get to know each other a little bit. So we've grown. We continue to grow. I'm talking about guest lists, new segments. You know, if you've been listening a couple of weeks ago, uh, some of you will be featured on this podcast, the three to four minutes, if you like. And whether it's the feedback, the ratings and reviews, please keep them coming. Apple, Spotify, they've all been tremendous. You've made me better. And that is something I treasure and value. Um, that said, there will be no shows for the next eight, nine days or so. I'm going on a week-long uh, vacation, taking my wife to Spain. Shout out Scott's cheap flights and years of uh, Marriott points for making this possible. Now, don't get this twisted. I am pumped beyond belief to go headfirst into draft coverage and then free agency and rumors from the combine and stuff you don't really care about, but I'm going to go on anyway, quarterback hand size, and I'm going to mock draft you to death. But you will get to know the front office, the Patriots new coaching staff, the quarterbacks better than you ever could have imagined. I'm just going to hit pause because this is a good six-day mental break, step away from the first time since mid-July, zoom out, spend quality time, and get some good thinking done about how we want to shape our coverage here in the pod, mine at the Herald, and just get to know a new era. Like This is fairly uncharted territory, obviously, in New England. You know why. So I will come back later next week with an episode, actually two episodes, uh, refreshed and ready to go. Um, and speaking of Spain, if any of you out there, and we are international here, we are global with Pat's interference, have any recommendations of Valencia, I'm all ears. Uh, okay, coaching news. So since we last hung out, Brian Belichick and Mike Pellegrino said, ah, I think I'll come back. So they will be, once again, the safeties coach and cornerbacks coach for the Patriots. Dante Hightower also said, I think I'm going to come back. And he did. Drew Wilkins. New outside linebackers coach, Tyquan Underwood, if you remember, 2011, phenomenal high top fade. Uh, less than stellar release the day before the Super Bowl when the Patriots lost again to the Giants. He is now your assistant wide receivers coach. Meanwhile, more recently, Will Long out as tight ends coach. He is following Bill O'Brien to BC, where he will be Bill O'Brien's offensive coordinator. And so all of this, you know, shuffling around leaves running backs, receivers, lead receivers coach, and tight ends coach as the only position coach vacancies on staff. And people have asked, Patrick, I see you. Uh, who's going to be the next receivers coach? Is it Troy Brown? Is it going to be someone new? 
And my first thought, and I'm not alone in this, ran to Chad O'Shea, but Chad O'Shea, who used to be in New England, more recently been with the Browns, also their pass game coordinator, you think would have happened by now? And Troy Brown, while we're on him, uh, may or may not have been up on his contract because coaches' contracts typically run for two to three years. He just finished his third year as a receivers coach. The bottom line is that job is open. The longer it goes on, the less likely it is that Troy Brown returns. So that's all I have on that. We had a couple more mailback questions on the receivers coach. As for the guys they hired and kept, I like virtually all of these moves. And Brian Belichick and Mike Pellegrino, who will come back for their fifth and, uh, oh, excuse me, fifth and six years in these same positions. Scratch that. Who will each come back for their fifth years in these same positions. Brian Belichick coaching safeties, Mike Pellegrino coaching cornerbacks is a great move for Gerard Mayo, not only because they're good at what they do, and they've grown into these roles. It's not like Brian Belichick showed up on day one and was suddenly the best safeties coach anyone had ever heard of. But Gerard Mayo and his defensive coordinator, Demarcus Covington, have all of their experience playing, coaching, coming up in this system in the front seven. It's a good balance to keep guys who not only have spent their entire careers virtually coaching in the secondary, but know the language, know the players, know the vision, and can balance out uh, that experience, obviously. Now, in the middle, it's Dante Hightower. We'll be following in Gerard Mayo's footsteps as the inside linebackers coach. And here's the thing. I have no clue whether Dante Hightower will rise up the ranks in a way that Gerard Mayo did as the fastest rising assistant ever under Bill Belichick before, of course, he became his successor. But what I do know is this. He was a smart, well-spoken, incredibly respected and driven player when he was here in New England. Those are traits to me. If I'm making a list of guys who want to go from wearing a helmet to a headset, uh, I want at the top four of my list because those same things will make, in some parts, a good head coach or a good assistant coach. And there's a lot to learn for Dante Hightower, but he, of any list you want to cut up in whatever era, will be at the top of Patriots players who make sense as a future coach. He's in the building working with Drew Wilkins, um, who, if you don't know, and this hire I think was actually Super Bowl Sunday. Drew Wilkins spent the first dozen years of his career in Baltimore, goes up from video operations intern to outside linebackers coach, overlaps to Matt Judon, who made two Pro Bowls under his watch, goes to New York the last two seasons under Wink Martindale, who gets let go. Wilkins is out of a job. As far as experienced coaches who have been in good systems and, and worked with a position that you need and have good talent, Wilkins is a good fit, not to mention take some off of Dante Hightower's plate. Uh, Tyquan Underwood spent the last two years at Pitt. Two years before that at Rutgers, his alma mater. He was the only assistant kept on staff at Pitt as Pat Narduzzi just freaking cleaned house yet again on offense because he coached their leading receiver to a 1,000-yard campaign. So Tyquan Underwood, less experienced, certainly in the NFL game, but fits the mold that we've been talking about for weeks, even with the first few hires, that Gerard Mayo is making the staff in his own image. It leans younger, more energy-focused, driven coaches, who are also ex-players. Alex Van Pelt, former NFL quarterback, Underwood, Hightower, you're familiar with them. A lot of these guys, at the very least, were coaches in college. Now this is all coming together. Still need a running backs coach, receivers coach, and tight ends coach. But if you had to bet, I would look at ex-players who have overlapped with Van Pelt. And then finally, all of this uh, will be sorted out. So that's it on the coaching front. Get your buckets with your first bet at FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. 
bet on all your favorite NBA players and teams, quick bets, live same game parlays, exclusive props, and more. Just visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Massachusetts 21 plus and present in MA. Hope is here. First online real money line wager. Only $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. The front office. I wrote today that the number one word for their offseason plan, for agency, the draft, any trades that might come up, the word, all of that should revolve around is optionality. Give yourself as many options as possible as you are basically starting from scratch with this roster talent. Remove all restrictions to getting the players you want via trade for agency and the draft, and then go get them. Obviously, this sounds like a good idea generally, but especially when you have as little talent as you have and as much cap space as the Patriots have and draft capital. So my point until then, free up more cap space, which they can get over $80 million as soon as they restructure or release J.C. Jackson. Right now, they're at $66 million. Going to over 80 would put them um, at the top of the league right now and they're in third. But you can trade Mac Jones. Read the piece if you want more details. The point here today is, though, that $66 million in cap space is a good reason to believe that they will spend. However, as you know, we were all Charlie Brown with the football the last two offseasons. Oh, the Patriots got cap space. A lot of cap room. Time to sign some veterans. Plenty of needs. And none of it really transpired in the way that we all expected or certainly hoped. But as I said, that $66 million in cap space, third most in the league, is reason number two why the Patriots will spend. Reason number one, they have to. It's in the CBA. Under the current CBA, every team must spend at least 90% of the salary cap within three to four-year periods, okay? And whatever that cap is, which is projected to be $242 million this upcoming season, you have to, at least in this year, get up to 216. Now, the NFL just closed one of these three to four-year periods. It went 2017 to 2020, 2021 to 2023, and now we're going to start here in 2024. So when you think about the last three years, the Patriots go all in at the start of the last period in 2021. Record-setting, spending spree. We all wrote about it. Devon Gottschall, Matt Judon, Nelson Aguilar, John U. Smith, Hunter Henry, come on down. All right? They spent over 100% of the cap, well over that. So the next two years that I just talked about, well, they got more cap space. They didn't have to spend the cash and obviously didn't, but still met the threshold because in the aggregate of this three-year window, they were over 90%. Every team has to do that. When you look ahead for this upcoming window, 2024, 2025, and 2026, the Patriots are scheduled to be bottom five in spending every single year in starting this season. They are closer to spending 50% of that projected $242 million salary cap, just half of that right now, than they are closer to being 90%. And so in order to get to 90% of this upcoming cap, and it is in the aggregate, but like you're already playing from behind. Again, bottom five this year, next year, and 2026 in terms of cash spending, which is very different from cap. And we'll get to that in a second. But you're playing catch up. 
So they need to spend right now to get to 90% of that $242 million, $88 million in cold, hard cash just to stay on schedule for the next couple of years. So whether you want to chant the crafts are cheap until you're blue in the face, that's fine. Just know this is coming because it's in the CBA. They have to spend the cold, hard cash. Now, on cash versus cap, cash spending... Again, you're talking about a cap figure, $242 million. You need to spend at least 90% of that in cash, which is counted as money just handed to the players in that season. Again, they're scheduled to spend about $100 million less than that $242. They need to get to $216 if they want to stay on schedule for this three-year window. $88 million, and they're at about $130 right now. Okay? Cap does not directly correlate with cash. Any player's 2024 cap hit consists of money scheduled to be paid to them this year, but can include money paid in previous years if they get a signing bonus, okay, that was prorated over a couple of years, which is all to say, hey, you'll get your signing bonus when we add you, but for our bookkeeping purposes or accounting, we're going to take the $10 million in signing bonus. Let's say you sign a four-year deal. It only counts on our books 2.5 this year, 2.5 the next year, 2.5 million in the third year, and 2.5 at the end. So the cap is not directly correlated with the cash, but you need to spend 90% of the cap in cash within these three-year windows because it's in the rule book. So the Patriots have the cap. They need to spend the cash. They are going to spend a lot of money next month. Of course, it matters who they sign, but this should be encouraging for everyone who watched the last two off seasons going, they just missed in all the big free agents and uh, no surprise, eight, nine, then four and 13. All right, on to the mailbag. Lots of topics here today, 14 questions. We did not get to all of them, which is never the promise, but most of them. Uh, and if you have more, email, tweet at me, we're on threads, all that works. However, I will start with two questions that were buried in my spam folder. Don't love to go into the spam folder. Obviously, it does a good job filtering out a lot of crap, um, but I do miss some reader emails. So we're going to start with two of them. John, from a couple weeks ago, is asking, quote, You'll recall last year, an NFL player survey found the Patriots team facilities lacked in several areas, particularly the weight room and the locker room. What, if anything, can you tell us about the team's efforts in the last year to respond to these deficiencies? Well, John, a new weight room is on the way. Uh, a new weight room that is actually on the first floor of this new craft group building, which is adjacent to the Patriots football operations. If you imagine uh, the lighthouse, right, that end of the stadium. If you are staring at the lighthouse from, say, the parking lot, it's on the right side. The pro shop is to the left. It's around the corner where these large glass panels and the first two floors, as I understand it, are going to be football operations. So scouting, coaches, weight room. Okay. They weren't finished with this last year, but it was funny because when we would walk from the media room, which is actually very close to football operations uh, last year, we would go by this new you know, weight room. So you could see some equipment going in there. And we would also see guys playing cards and hanging out. So I don't know if you'll be able to just walk from the pro shop along the first floor where the weight room is going to be, uh, or if they're going to put up, you know, something to obstruct other people's use. I would think they would go about doing that. But the point is, this is going to be a brand new weight room. The locker room, to me, I'm surprised it got as many low marks because the ones I've been in, at least home locker rooms, is, is at least on par. But they're making a well overdue effort to upgrade the equipment, the space, and all of the resources here. And I think including sports science, because the old weight room was rinky dink. Like 
I'm sure there are high schools in Texas that could have rivaled some of what the Patriots had in that weight room. Uh, it was old. They rightfully got slammed, but that's going to change. Now you know exactly where it is. Alex V email. Hey, man. Hey, Alex. All this excitement around Alex Van Pelt feels eerily similar to last year's Bill O'Brien hire, and we all know how that turned out. Sure, 14, uh, four and 13 seasons hits the bar pretty low. Drafting a much-needed quarterback calls for excitement, but given all the holes elsewhere on the field, how many years away are the Patriots from truly being back in contention? Okay, so first of all, I would disagree on where you start there. Like Bill O'Brien universally applauded, not even because it was an A-plus move. It was just appreciably better than what we had all thought we'd experienced with Matt Patricia. Obviously, it didn't pan out that way. Uh, I would think that Bill O'Brien might have some regrets coming in, just understanding the dynamics of the staff, the talent available, yada, yada. He's a BC. He should be happy. Patriots are moving forward. Alex Van Pelt, best as I can tell, has received a lukewarm reception because you have people on opposite ends of this spectrum, right? Some people saying an A+. Former coordinator, longtime quarterbacks coach, ex-player, unifier in the locker room, uh, just coached a top 10 scoring offense with five different quarterbacks. What more could you want? The other folks go, well, what I want is a guy who's called plays more recently than 2009. A guy who has coached multiple top 10 scoring offenses since 2016, which Vid Pell has not, and is not someone who the Patriots seem to have settled on after chasing Zach Robinson, Nick Cayley, and Luke Getze, and then landing with Alex Van Pelt. I, of course, as you know, landed in the middle, C+. I don't think you felt a lot of people who were going C plus or below with Bill O'Brien. It was a solid B, sometimes maybe an A. I think all the reasons are valid. It didn't work out. Um, but as far as contending, look, this is at minimum, minimum, a two-year rebuild. So I would say year three, when you talk about contention, like contending for a, a Super Bowl, and we'll even just put AFC Championship, at least three. And that's like everything goes right the first couple of years. You nail the quarterback. You build the offensive linebacker. You're adding receiving talent. Gerard Mayo's growing pains are very, very quick and then over. So I would say three years away from contending, um, but one, one or two from kind of getting back into the mix. All right. Sox Nation, what's up? Long time. Uh, quote, how valuable is a trade back from pick 33? Most of the focus is on the third pick, but could a trade back from 33, the Patriots actually pick 34, um, be the most important move for the draft? So, I love this question because it spurred me, as I said at the beginning, you guys make me better doing more research. I'm familiar with all the things that I'm saying, but it's another thing to be like, oh, yeah, I know where I'm going. And another to have like the step-by-step -step direction of how to get there. Here come those directions. First, the trade back from 33 and 34, anytime you've watched the drafts and say split this into a three-day event. Everyone goes, oh, you could just hold an auction. The team with the first pick in the second round, you've got leftover first round players, award it to the highest bidder. You can get a boatload of picks. Well, whether it was Joey Porter Jr. last year to the Steelers or years before him, that never really materializes in the way that is billed as part of this buildup for the draft is back on, on Friday, see what trade will kind of kick off our coverage. And so I don't think that's as likely here. And even at 34, this is such a deep draft for offensive tackles and receivers that in my opinion, not knowing the offer yet, and of course how the board is going to fall, you're better off just making that pick. Because as I said, year after year after year, players with a first grade, uh, first round grade on your board, no matter who you are, typically fall to that spot, 33, 34, 35th overall. The Patriots recently 
had this happen twice. Christian Barmore in 2021 and Keon White a year ago, who was considered for them at 17th overall when they got Christian Gonzalez. So I think you make the pick. If you get a godfather offer, obviously you can't refuse it. You take it. But if you want to figure out what kind of trades they might get at 34, I would go visit Rich Hill's trade value chart, which is a modernized, more updated and historically informed uh, trade chart than Jimmy Johnson's or any other ones you're going to find. Take the value of the 34 pick, make some sort of combination of other picks later in the rounds owned by one team. There's your trade. Now, you are correct in saying most of the focus is on moving back from three. So sticking with Rich Hill's modern trade value chart, for example, in a regular draft, the Patriots could trade back from, say, number three to 13, where Las Vegas is, and supposedly uh, Antonio Pierce, who overlapped with Jaden Daniels when they were both at Arizona State, wants to move up. So according to this chart, the Patriots can move back 10 spots and add a second-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and a fifth-round pick, and call it a day. Okay. However, this is not a regular draft, and not just because the Patriots are number three, but because you have three legitimate quarterbacks billed as top five and, at worst, top ten prospects, which means not only will you have multiple suitors coming up for the most important position of the draft, but you should be able to stoke that trade market and get a bigger return. How far do you want to look back? Well, let's go back to last year's draft. The Cardinals went from number three to 12. And in the process, in an unprecedented deal with Houston, not for a quarterback, but a defensive end, added the number 33 pick in the second round, a first round pick in 2024, and a third round pick. The reasoning for which, when Nick Casario got asked after, was, I don't care about your stupid charts. (laughs) Yeah, who cares? It's about the players, not the picks, which everyone's going, okay, well, the charts exist for a reason. It's to balance out the decision-making and get the value that you got. Obviously, C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson look like home runs. But the point is, if the Cardinals could swing that deal going from 3 to 12 and the Raiders want to come up from 13 and you're the Patriots there at 3 with a quarterback you think or maybe know at that point that they covet, you can absolutely ask for, we want your second-round pick, a first, a third, and maybe a little bit more. Because you're not just coming up for a guy who might make a couple of Pro Bowls and is coming out of Alabama and is going to start – it would help your defense. You're coming up for a face of your franchise, a legitimate starter from day one, and someone who is playing the most important influential position in sports. Now, it might not be the Raiders. It could be any number of teams. They're going to be looking for a quarterback in that range. But my point is, only, 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 if the Patriots do not like the quarterback left over at number three, likely Drake May or Jaden Daniels, then you trade back. Absolutely. Do not make the pick at three and take an offensive tackle or Marvin Harrison Jr. This is a stacked receiver and offensive tackle class. Make that trade back or some version of it. Add extra draft capital. Build out your optionality. Get more picks and infuse more talent into the roster and ideally still get a quarterback late first or early second round. All right, Josh, speaking of quarterbacks, more likely quarterback room for the Patriots, Jacoby Brissett, Michael Penix, and Bailey Zappi, or... Drake May, Gardner Minshew, and Billy Zappi. Uh, Mac Jones already traded, obviously, in this scenario or cut. Uh, I will go with Jacoby Brissett, Michael Penix, and Billy Zappi because I think as of now, again, February 13th, more than two months from the draft, it seems likely that Drake May will be the second quarterback taken with the second overall pick. And so that immediately removes that scenario. In addition, I'm not saying the Patriots do or don't like Jaden Daniels. I don't know that yet. Um, but Michael Penix is a guy who fits the range where you might be able to get him 
if you trade back from three to like the teens, or if you make the pick and he falls into the late first or early second, where you're already at 34 and can just lump up, lump up, jump up a couple of spots or 10 or 12 to go get him. And in this scenario, they still land Jacoby Brissett, who is my number one far and away choice for this bridge veteran quarterback who sorely, sorely, sorely could have been needed last year when Mac Jones and Billy Zappi are sitting in the opposite sides of the room and don't even want to look at each other. Okay, Corey asking, quote, do you think it was a blessing in disguise that Alex Van Pelt is the offensive coordinator and not Nick Kelly? Patriots are most likely taking a quarterback at three, and I would rather have the guy who has decades of experience working with quarterbacks rather than the guy who's never coached one before. So I understand where you're coming from, Corey. I would say this. In this scenario, I would add the quarterbacks coaches. We know with Van Pellet, T.C. McCartney, had Kaylee been hired, I don't know who his quarterbacks coach would have been. Obviously, it wouldn't be Zach Robinson because he just went and took the OC job at Atlanta. He's not you know, going to stay in the same position and go elsewhere. But let's say, for a hypothetical example, it was Nick Kaylee and Zach Robinson versus Alex Van Pellet and T.C. McCartney. Then it's a conversation because I understand you want the guy who's coached quarterbacks, but if it's not going to be the same person with that title, well, then include them and then balance out when you're picking one or the other. I will say this. If you want to just reduce it to Kaylee versus Van Pelt, we're not going to know for a couple of years. Um, and we might never know. Okay. This is a counterfactual. Nick Kaylee, Nick Kaylee is the offensive coordinator in New England. We're never going to know what that looks like, at least for next year. Um, so I would just stay patient. If you want to feel that way, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, but just consider I would love to know who his quarterback's coach would have been because that is a big part of this equation that, at least in the way you phrased it, has gone unsaid. Gary, quote, popular opinion, fit the system around the skill set of the young, talented quarterback. Alex Van Pelt has run multiple styles. Heck, he just worked with five quarterbacks this past season from Watson to Flacco. Does this make you believe the offensive coordinator search prioritized flexibility versus sell me on your scheme? I am going to defer to Gerard Mayo here. I think he was being honest when he said, I want people meaning coaches, who develop players. Obviously, there was a lot made of the Shanahan versus McVay, uh, you know, overlap when you're looking at the candidates they interviewed or at least requested. I don't think he prioritized someone who had been in the same room as Kyle Shanahan or worked a system that was off of that same tree more than who has a good reputation, who's developed players, who's probably been an ex-player and has a lot of experience. I think those boxes came before, however they want to organize their X's and O's. Kurt, cool. I like Justin Fields coming out of college. Same here. If he was coming out with this year's class, where would he be ranked among the quarterback prospects? Good question. Uh, first of all, I'm on the record. I, I do not want the Patriots to trade for Justin Fields. Still having questions about his ability as a passer in year four. I don't think you're going to get answered any differently than we have the last couple of seasons. To answer his question, Fields was number four that season after Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance. We know Wilson and Lance busted. Not many people were arguing uh, the order in which they were drafted. Field not only just didn't go top five or top 10, he went 11th. Uh, and then Mac Jones at 15. This year, I think he's four again. I think it's Caleb Williams and Drake May, inarguably. Jane Daniels, you have some questions. But between Daniels' experience and the traits and just the season that he had at LSU, granted with excellent weapons, I, I think he edges out Fields because he's, he's a little bit more refined as a passer. The traits are still there as far as just the athleticism. And, you know, Fields probably has him a little bit on arm strength, but three or four is a bottom line answer here. 
Water boys, what's one surprising move you see the Patriots making this offseason? Well, you'll be happy to know, again, as of now, the Tuesday, February 13th, I see a trade up into the first round. And I've been looking through the Packers draft history, and there aren't a whole lot of examples. Pretty balanced front office when Elliot Wolf was there. You know, the front office was run by Ted Thompson until he retired. Um, and, and they would do a, a fair amount of trading back and trading up. But I think there's just going to be a talent there that they can't pass up, whether it's an offensive tackle or a receiver or maybe a quarterback, that they jump up from 33 into the back end of the first round or maybe surrender future picks because this is now a front office that has been emboldened, empowered, and has clear identifiable needs that they feel we can go do this. And for the first time, we have the ability to go do this because Bill Belichick is gone. I think they take a big swing. All right, a few more here. Uh, Lawrence, what exactly does an offensive coordinator do in a modern offense? They have a run game coordinator, a pass game coordinator, a quality control coach, and the head coach calls the plays. This is a case-by-case basis. Many offensive coordinators call plays. They draw up the game plan, set the vision uh, within the week. Some coach quarterbacks, others don't. But they're in charge, big picture, of how do we want to play this game? What players do we want to play? They're the head coach of that side of the ball. It's the best answer I can give you. Aaron, should the Pats pursue any of the top receiver free agents? He lists T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, Mike Evans, Hollywood Brown, Calvin Ridley. Unsurprisingly, I get less and less excited about these options as we go down the list. T. Higgins, no-brainer. Michael Pittman, okay. Mike Evans, like it, but no more than a one- or two-year deal, which isn't really aligned with the timeline of the franchise. Hollywood Brown, Calvin Ridley, I could take or leave. R.M. Heff, with a move to a West Coast offense, which skills and traits do you see New England prioritizing differently from the skill position groups? Well, first of all, when you look at their draft history, Patriots are kind of all over the place (laughs) with what they prioritize. Like I talked about this with Phil Perry after the 2022 draft being like, you went from 2021, you know, not necessarily traits focused, but big school production, Mac Jones, Ramondre Stevenson, Christian Barmore, to like breaking up with someone and looking for their complete opposite in 2022, Cole Strange, Taekwon Thornton, like athletes, athletes, athletes. And so I would just say this, the short answer is yards after catch, which is a staple of the Shanahan offenses and McVay. Um, it's not easily identifiable when it comes to the combine, but that is something that they are going to prioritize within this new offense. Uh, another question on the receivers if Higgins, is it from Brian, uh, Mike Evans, Michael Pittman, Calvin Ridley are not available. Do you take a chance on Mike Williams coming off of injury with the Chargers? He throws out $10 million base salary plus three or $4 million in incentives. Too rich. Too rich for my blood. I think you're you're dealing with a team that's going to have to restructure his contract or just outright release him. I would have some interest, but that's a guy, again, you're kind of buying on the back end of his career. And for me, just doesn't fit. I'm sound like I'm being picky. I would not be upset if they signed him, but that kind of structure and incentives, especially a one-year deal, where I'm just going to have to bring him back. I just, none of this feels like the right fit uh, for me. Fernando, if Caleb and May are gone at 1-2 and Daniels is still a good choice, uh, I heard he needs a specific style of offense and Van Pelt couldn't make it work with Watson in Cleveland. I don't know how much of that is an Alex Van Pelt issue versus the Deshaun Watson problem, given that Watson missed uh, over a season before getting to Cleveland. And the only evidence you need is that it worked for Joe Flacco. <laughs> like They went to the playoffs with Joe Flacco. Um, and I think Jane Daniels has got a little bit more versatility than you're giving him credit for Bill slash Andy, these guys asked about Kirk Cousins and Baker Mayfield uh, as quarterbacks and free agency. Look, I, I think both of them are long shots. Baker Mayfield, you know, is dealing with the Bucks front office that found a guy after the guy, meaning Tom Brady, which is very rare. You know, and Baker as a guy is just like legit starter. Like we can play with him. 
They have tons of cap space. The Vikings aren't far behind around 25, 26 million. Cousins a little bit more complicated, but long-term his injury might pay off for them in a way that they don't have to pay market rate for a quarterback coming off of such a significant injury. Again, already in his mid thirties, a lot of teams would sign up for Kirk Cousins, but I bet they find a way to keep him there. If not, Patriots want to sign Kirk Cousins. I'm in. All right. Last thing for me, uh, folks have been asking how Doug is doing. Not going to betray any confidences, but I, you know, he and I are speaking more regularly now. I've seen him a couple of times. He's hanging in and, and it, it, it feels good to, to say that. Um, so thank you to everyone who has donated, who has written to him, who has extended support. I know I've asked a ton of, from you on this podcast and elsewhere. Please keep it coming. Keep him in your thoughts. Let him a note. Send him a tweet. Um, he's working part-time now. And we'll come back and help shoulder the load as I take off for Spain here. Um, but uh, he, he would still love to hear from you. And everything so far has been tremendous. So thank you. I will see you late next week. And again, appreciate you. 150. We made it. <laughs>